Hey, everybody. Thank you very much for coming by and hanging out with us again on Conversations. I got to tell you, I am honored beyond words for my guest today. He is somebody I've known for quite a long time. I've had the great pleasure of standing in his shadow, listening to him speak, being around him, sitting in boards with him, um, just having him be a part of my life. And it's an honor to have him here. Um, I'm going to make a little different introduction today, James, if you'll give me just a grace period for a second. But I'm just going to throw this out to everybody just so you know what we're talking about, who we got over here. I mean, this, this is going to be one of the this highlight I got going this week. So let me just throw these names out for everybody. Jamba Juice, Gillette, Nestle Purina, Coca-Cola, former board chair of Fair Trade USA, sits on the board of a firm holding Simple Good Food, Schnuck Supermarket, and currently is the chairman of the board of the Honest Company. Please, everybody, welcome with open arms, my friend, James White. Welcome, my brother. Welcome. Uh, thank you. My great pleasure. Uh, we, we've been uh, working together, had the good pleasure of working together for about 15 years. I looked at it and wanted to see, I think we first crossed paths 15 years ago or so. Yeah, it's been that, it's been that, we look, and you know what, we look damn good today. That's pretty good. <laughs> you know, I just got to tell you, you, know, you go back and look at, you know, we, we, we're doing way better aging than anybody. I'm telling you right now, we look damn good. <laughs> I think it's the workout and the good food. Yeah, either that or it's the filters I got us covered with Zoom. Either way, either way, we're covered, baby. We'll, we'll take it. <laughs> I have no problems with it. But I'm so thrilled that you're here, not only just to chat a little bit about your trajectory and career and who you are and, and what you've been up to and what you're doing. But more importantly, I want to get into this book that you've written. Um, and we're going to talk about that in some length. And this book is coming out this month. The month of March. And so it's pretty exciting for uh, for me to have you here and to, and to promote this and to really pump it up and, and to talk about it. So I'm excited about that. But before we get going, let's get everybody up to speed. I mean, I threw out a whole bunch of big names and, and uh, you know, to, to grab people's attention, no doubt. But, you know, share a little bit about who you are and your kind of your journey to this point today, hanging out with me on a, on a beautiful sunny afternoon. Great. And Todd, I'll, I'll start where I always start. Uh, for, for me, my start is St. Louis, Missouri, very humble beginnings. Uh, I'm the first member of my family to graduate from college, which is foundational to my story and really all the things that I've done. Mm -hmm. uh, my mom and dad uh, were foundational to that entire journey uh, for me. My mom was a lab technician. My dad was up until COVID uh, skycap at the St. Louis airport. Dad wow. turned 90 uh, this year. Uh, th those two people have been just foundational to everything that I've done. Uh, University of Missouri undergrad. Uh, Mizzou. And, you know, for me, uh, started my career with the Coca-Cola company in their Minute Maid division, uh, Springfield, Missouri, uh, was there through several uh, first level management roles. Um, that took me to uh, the old Ralston Purina company, yeah. ultimately acquired uh, at Nestle, but I spent 15, 16 years uh, between Rolston Purina and Nestle, uh, 13 different roles over time, uh, was the number two uh, commercial leader there before going to the Gillette Company, played a big role uh, under uh, what I view as one of the top CEOs ever in the consumer goods space, Jim Kiltz, uh, was there for the turnaround, was a part of that team. Uh, for a number of the number of years through the sale to Procter and Gamble, uh, and then ended up uh, working for another phenomenal leader at Safeway Stores. That's where we first met. I headed up yeah. uh, Safeway's private label portfolio, and I think uh, probably most importantly, 
led the development of O-Organics, uh, which at the time kind of catalyzed uh, and helped democratize the organic uh, mm-hmm. food uh, space, the launch of, of that brand, which ended up being about a billion dollars in sales um, as I was departing as a much bigger brand than that uh, today. From there, uh, moved on uh, to become CEO of uh, Jamba Juice, uh, was there uh, seven plus years as CEO, yeah. was there and CEO there, transformed the company uh, and was you know squarely focused on healthy uh, living. So if you looked at the themes really across my career, very focused on better for you food, uh, right. healthy living, uh, and most of the companies were mission uh, driven, mission based. And then in my spare time, I've sat on a number of boards over the last 20 years. Uh, Absolutely. Accounting have chaired uh, uh, seven of those boards over time. I love it. I want to talk a little bit about Safeway. I didn't call them out because I want to talk specifically about because that was that is where our paths cross. But when you sit back now and you look back at that old brand and what it was and that first start, because you guys, you know, I mean, at that time you were you were leading the pack. It was very progressive conversation that you guys were having because you just weren't going, hey, let's do three items. You're like, hey, let's go do 300, 700, whatever the number turned out to be. It's sure. a year. I mean, now I don't even know. It's got to be in the thousands now across the entire store, I would gather. Um, what was that like? I mean, you know, because you're reflecting back on it today. I guess my question is you're looking at it today back to what it was. You, you knew it was the right thing to do. You went about it the right way because, A, that's just what you do. Um, and you had the right mindset going into it. But in reflection, to see how, with how much that is scaled, there's got to be a sense of pride there. There's got to be a sense of accomplishment there that might feel a little bit better than maybe even some of the other things you've done in your career. Yep. For me, if I look at the top two or three accomplishments, the, the development of organics was one of, uh, I think, the more important accomplishments really across a career, and it was because of a couple things. We took a system approach. We we, right. we we saw a consumer opportunity and trend, and we felt like with the scale of a forty billion dollar company, Safeway, with you know twelve hundred locations, that we could catalyze this movement for organic and more natural uh, products, leveraging this brand platform. Uh, we really launched at the time one of the. Uh, first multi-category lifestyle brands, and we yeah. take great pride in the in the accomplishment of that uh, of that work. Well, I think I, you know truly, if you take a look at that that evolution, I mean, it really did open up a lot of doors. It changed a lot of things. It 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 brought um, you know a lot of food to the masses that didn't necessarily have an opportunity to get them. So, I mean, to me, that's just the, you know when I think about positive cost of food and positive things that happen, getting good food into people's hands is. If you have the opportunity to do it, I think you're obligated to make it happen, you know, and, and I think it's great know, that you did it. And as you know, the two of us worked on that really across the entire industry. Yeah. Uh, as we sit on the organic center board uh, together. And that also was one of the really most important things that I, as I look back on my career, my time with you and folks like Walter Rob on that mm-hmm. board uh, was really instrumental to uh, getting healthier food products um, you know, into the marketplace. hundred percent. And, and, and to touch on what you just said, you know, you talk about an education for myself to be around guys like you and Walter and Ken Cook and all the other folks that were on these. I mean, good Lord. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't go to university and get that lesson. I mean, that's just one of the things I think of my, when I look back at all the things, I, I think to me, that's some of the things I'm the most fortunate for is friends like you, people like you that have 
in some way or another. And you're still guiding me today because hell, you've guided me with this whole conversation thing we talked about it, you know, and it, and it, and it, um, it's just so inspiring to be able to, to see what you've done and what your career has, what I've done and everything. It's just great. I just, it's just such, it's, it's so uplifting to be around people like you and, and to be around folks that have shaped this world to be better. It's just, it's just a great way to wake up in the mornings. When you went to Jamba Juice though, you know, that was an interesting one for you. And I think that, you know, you went and you took this project on Jamba was, you know, they had their issues. They were kind of cruising along, but you know, you came in here and were touted. You had a pretty big, you know, quotations around you as a turnaround master coming into this thing and really, you know, and you did that. Um, what's it mean to come in and have those kind of expectations as a leader of a company? I mean, that's a big burden to put on your back when you got X amount of employees and money and revenue and board, you know, stock and whatever else is involved. Hi, I'm Nate Hefty, vice president of sales at Superior Fresh, the nation's largest aquaponic farm located in central Wisconsin. Thank you for listening to Todd Versations and Todd Bits. Check us out at www.superiorfresh.com to learn how we raise our Atlantic salmon on a non-GMO organic diet. And they thrive in water naturally filtered by our USDA certified organic leafy greens, never treated with hormones, antibiotics, or pesticides, and packed with two times the omega-3s. This is salmon as it should be. Shop with us online and use the discount code TLC2022 to receive free shipping on all of our American Heart Association's Heart Health Checked Atlantic Salmon. At Superior Fresh, we are changing how food is grown to change the world. Remember the code TLC2022 to get free shipping. Yeah, the Jamba opportunity was an interesting one. And you might have been one of the friends that said, James, we know you want to be CEO, but are you sure about this one? Uh, but here's the way I looked at it. I, you know, I obviously did a ton of research in preparation for pursuing the opportunity. The Jamba brand is one that I felt like really deserved to uh, live in the world. And I felt like I brought a set of skills that would allow me to uh, both lead the turnaround and ultimately transform Jamba into the, in, into the future. So yeah. I knew if I could, uh, get my hands on the right levers in the first six months that I'd be able to turn around um, Jamba. I think the most critical thing is, and I'll set a bit of the stage. I joined Jamba in December of 2008, and I'll just let that settle in. We're in the middle of the Great Recession. <laughs> recession. Uh, I'm, I'm leading a smoothie shop, and it's December. I've got to get through... Uh, the toughest period for this company and, and ultimately save the company. But I knew if I could uh, guide us through the first six months, that we'd be able to ultimately turn around the company, restore it to profitability, and then put it on a, a, a growth uh, path. And for me, all the work that I always do starts with people and culture. Yeah, yeah um, for sure. And that's where I started uh, visiting with all the key stakeholders from members of the board to all the associates to critical suppliers and use that to inform, you know, a, a very disciplined kind of thoughtful uh, plan that I knew would take multiple years to transform the company. Absolutely. And you did. And I mean, it's amazing. So now, I mean, you know, you're off, you know, you're, you're, you're not sitting still, you know, you, you're, you're not watching prices right in the morning. You're a little busy these days, but one of the things I think is so cool. And to me, from my perspective, I kind of almost look at this as somewhat full circle in a lot of ways. You now sit as chairman of the board of the honest company. Um, and that's a 
fantastic company that's doing some really impressive things, trying to change the conversation out there in, in, in the food and in, 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 in the grocery type space, uh, CPG type product. How has that company, you know, mesh with you and why does that company matter to you? Well, the really important thing, uh, you know, really starts with the founding mission of the, of the company. The founder, Jessica Alba, uh, was really just satisfying uh, a personal need that she had for her family to deliver more yeah. uh, clean products as she had her first child. Uh, and that's kind of the founding mission. And for me, that always be- becomes really central and important. Uh, the second really important thing for me is the CEO Nick Flaus, I knew from his time at Clorox, uh, we, we were friends, you know, so when the opportunity came about and the call came in, you know, for me to join as chair and join these guys as we took the company public, it was an easy, yes, uh, mission, right mission, fantastic uh, leadership team. Um, and we're trying to do work that uh, and launch products that make the world a little bit better at the end of the day. So it was an easy yes. And I think very consistent with the things that I've um, tried to spend time on. I love it. Uh, and, you know, and, and to me, like I said, when I look at it, I see this full circle. I think you're just coming around like everything you've done has led you to this place to continue to make the world a better place, which I think is, you know, that's a great, that's a great gift to give back when you can. I want to talk a little bit just for a couple, just for a moment about leadership, because I think it's really important. I got you here. I'm going to get to the book, I promise, but I got you here. And I, and, and I want, I think people need to hear some of this. What are some of the tough love lessons um, in running a company? A, that you've, I'm going to give you a three-part question. You answer it any way you want. But, you know, the tough love lessons that you've learned running a company, you know, ones that you've learned, love lessons that you've, that you've used, and maybe even some lessons that you've kind of run from a little bit or, you know, that have been concerning or whatever. Can you, can you just kind of elaborate on that? Bizarre yeah, question I just threw at you. For me, firstly, it always starts with the people and culture. Um, sure. and, and what I've learned, and it's obviously much more difficult the larger the organization, but you manage people individually. So I've, yeah. I, I learned a lesson early on that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. And, and what I learned early on as a young leader that you can get people's discretionary effort if you can tap into what's important to them, what they're passionate about, and you can unlock that. And I'll trace that all the way back to my own humble beginnings. Right. You know, so because of my humble beginnings, I'm the first member of my family to have a professional job like the ones that I've had first member of my family to graduate from college. So I could have easily been someone across a career that you might underestimate at some point. So I always look at what people are good at and capable of versus looking at deficits. And I always try to play people individually to their strengths, mm-hmm. you know, so that's kind of big lesson one. And if you can, if, if you can really capture that as a leader, you can start to unlock the full potential individually and then, collectively. And then over time, I've tried to build processes and tools and systems that enable that, you know, where I'm not uh, the direct uh, reporting leader for an individual, but, um, you know, try to pass that lesson uh, to the leaders of of leaders in the companies that I work for. Uh, The second one is the importance of being uh, an active learner from a leadership perspective. Mm. You know, so for me, I've been able to reinvent my skill set and add skills um, 
at every juncture of, of my career. Um, and I think sometimes once you, you know, finish whatever time you spend at university or in education, you assume you're done and then you move forward. Uh, but kind of my central theme has been this idea of kind of ongoing learning. And I'm learning as much today as I was 20 years ago. And that's made me relevant and keeps uh, my skill set uh, contemporary in, in this current market. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you just an example. I, yeah. In 2018, I spent a year at Stanford. They've got a program called the Distinguished Careers Institute, uh, which is for folks our age that have had some success in a career. So I literally spent a year at Stanford uh, with co-eds and graduate students as a student, uh, just taking myself back to school to try to learn and continue to build skills that would make me more contemporary in the boardroom and the coaching work uh, that I do with, with other leaders. And that was one of the most meaningful uh, years that I've spent. I love it. That sidebar question I want to throw at you. Do you remember what your parents told you when you graduated from college? Did you, did you walk? Did you did you go cap and gown? Did you walk the field? Did you do the whole nine yards? We we did the whole nine yards because I was the first one, so that was a really big deal. Yeah. One of the, you know, so it's not kind of post graduation; it's post high school. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's a, a a favorite poem of mine, which is "If" by Richard Kipling. Yeah. Um, and and my mom exposed me to that poem at the age of sixteen. Uh, and I've tried to actually live my life based on that poem. Um, so I'd love for your audience, uh, if you're not familiar with the pro- po- with, of the poem, If by Richard Kipling, yeah. go back and take a look at that. But I've lived my entire life uh, as closely as I can to that poem. And uh, I don't know if that was my mom's motivation, but yeah. it's guided me throughout. I love that. Now, thank you for sharing that. That's I appreciate that. And we, you know what we'll do is we'll put the we'll we'll put a link up to. Uh, so people can get it on, you know, they can read it through our uh, social stuff. We'll make sure people can I get love it. that. We'll make it easy for people. And right? I love we'll for young people to have access to that poem. Absolutely. I totally agree. What's um, just it's back kind of going back to the business thought a little bit. What's the phrase approach challenges from a myriad of perspectives and dimensions mean to you? I think for me, the way when I think about, um, you know, kind of problem solving uh, from a business perspective, I think if you approach problems from more cross-functional mm-hmm. approach, you're, you're going to see different angles to really complex problems. So if I'm a commercial salesperson, I'm going to see uh, maybe one dimension of the problem or maybe miss a few others. If I'm a supply chain executive or a marketing executive or a finance executive, I might bring a different vantage point to the problem. So I'm a big proponent of uh, really cross-functional training Mm -hmm. uh, and in particular cross-functional problem solving. Um, And you want to look at especially complex problems from as many dimensions as you can. um, And then you iterate to the right answer or right solution. Uh, 100% agree. And one of the things I see in, in the, the work that I do is, is that you have a tendency to, you have leaders that just can only go so far and they don't even have the time, the inclination or the desire to try to figure out how to better themselves to go farther, to keep moving their companies forward, which is where, you know, I see a lot of companies get into trouble. They just run into that, kind of hit that wall 
of my perspective is what my perspective is. So I love what you've shared so far. And I hope that some of these young leaders that, that are listening to us today recognize that investing in yourself, growing yourself personally, growing yourself emotionally, spiritually, physically, all of that ultimately serves you becoming a better leader. You may not see it today, but those path, those steps you take, I think ultimately will serve you as your business progresses. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. What do you think about diversity in business? I mean, does diversity solely mean race and or gender in business? I think, you know, for, for me, uh, I think about diversity from a number of different dimensions. There, there is certainly a race, gender component to diversity, but there is also uh, an operating style, a learning how we process things that also ends up being important from a diversity perspective, as well as uh, the functional discipline that you come to the, the challenges with. I mean, one, one of the foundational lessons for me on how people see the world differently was when I was with Nestle Turin and we were becoming more cross-functional, uh, it was almost as if uh, people from commercial sales were speaking a different language than people from brand marketing or IT in the supply chain. Uh, so that was a, a, a lesson that I learned that was, has been foundational, especially to the way that I think about uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, which I've been a champion for uh, 30 plus yeah. years. And forever, every, yeah. Every place that I've stopped. I love it. What about diversity of individuals? I mean, does that, does, you know, does, can you talk a little bit about how the diversity of individuals kind of wins today? I mean, you touched on it a little bit, but I want to get a little bit deeper into that. Yeah, I'd make a, 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 a couple of points. What I'd say is more diverse teams um, are, are, are hard at first, mm-hmm. and then they build momentum. So if you think about uh, people coming from different backgrounds with different perspectives and different learning modes and styles, um, that might be a challenge kind of initially. But once you really groove that in, you really unlock. And it's to your earlier point on looking at problems from different vantage points. Diversity um, is really one of the critical ways to driving innovation and solving problems from multiple dimensions and multiple sets of experience. You know, because you and I are going to view the world differently. We're coming Mm -hmm. from slightly different places. And if we can come together with great respect and appreciation, we can ultimately get to better uh, solutions. But uh, for, for me, I love to try to build cultures where the individual can bring their whole selves yeah. uh, to the table. And then it gets back to my earlier point. You then can get the discretionary effort uh, from people uh, if you have an appreciation for what they're good at, uh, where they're coming from. Uh, and how they uh, might view the world slightly differently, but importantly, uh, than you. Absolutely. Well, I mean, look, disagreements shouldn't weaken friendships. It shouldn't weaken businesses. It should strengthen them. You know, and I think we've got to start to look at things that way. I think we're getting, sometimes I think we get too much, too many lines in the sand and we're, and we're tripping on those lines. It's hard to trip on sand, but you can trip on a line in the sand. I'm pretty sure. sure Absolutely. (laughs) You know, so, all right, let's switch gears because, you know, I'm, I'm, Thrilled that you're here. Let's talk about what's sitting over my shoulder right now. Your first book that you wrote with your beautiful daughter, Krista, uh, which is exciting because you've got somebody that Krista is how old? Uh, Krista's 29. 20, yeah, because I, I thought she was in her 20s. That was a good guess. I, I was going to guess, but I was wrong. I didn't want to piss that. Um, 
so you wrote this book. So you've got you've got a great perspective of coming into this. And, you know, and your book is called Anti-Racist Leadership. Um, and I want to get deep into it and talk about it. And let the, you know, I, I, I'm excited to have this conversation, uh, especially with you, uh, because I just I, I know you and I know what's in your brain a little bit. And I know who you are. And I just I just think this is just such a great um, time for this book to be coming out. Um, so tell me real quickly, what's the motivation behind the book? Really, the motivation behind the book, Krista and I happened to be uh, working on some projects together. I had one of the boards that I sat on. Uh, the CEO asked me to get involved in, you know, coaching the team around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, Krista got involved with me in the project. We found a joint passion, have since built a, a consulting practice around that, and uh, we started working on a, a book project together, uh, and the uh, momentum only accelerated as we got into 2020, the combination of the pandemic mm -hmm. uh, and global racial reckoning uh, made our work more urgent and more important, and um, we, we worked to complete the book, uh, you know, towards the end of uh, uh last year. I love it. I, what a great, pro what a great project to stumble into and to be able to do it with your daughter. That's pretty damn cool. Absolutely. I mean, I don't, I don't bet you didn't see that coming. Uh, no. And it's really been the most important work Todd of my life to be able to do yeah. that with my daughter. And she yeah. uh, pushed dad, she educated dad. And uh, it was uh, really the most meaningful thing I uh, expect that I'll do. That's fantastic. I love it. So let's let's get into the book a little bit. Tell me what what's racism mean to you? As as we talk about and think about anti-racist leadership and, and racism in general, we think about it more at the system. Uh, so not the micro uh, level, but if you think of, about institutions and systems, uh, I think about processes and practices and symbols and things that uh, disadvantage one group or person versus another. And really what we believe foundationally is that we, from a leadership perspective, need to create environments where uh, we all can bring our unique perspective to the table, be seen, be heard, be valued, uh, which we fundamentally believe unlocks the full potential uh, for the company and the organization. Absolutely. Uh, we think the work is rooted around culture. So you, you'll hear me talk a lot about culture because um, culture shapes the whole DEI uh, landscape. It's, it's work that has to be embedded in the strategy of the company, the values of the company, and then all the symbols of the, of the company. I love it. Well, I'm going to go. I got a bunch of questions going right down that trail. You you could have you couldn't have set me up any better. So here's sure. my next here's my next one. I want to throw at you. What can be or should be the role of leadership um, in creating an anti racist culture in business? I just think it's imperative that the CEO uh, that she's involved uh, with this work. You you can't delegate culture. You can't delegate leadership. Uh, so this whole diversity, equity, and inclusion space has to be led from the top down. Mm -hmm. uh, my first point, um, it's mandatory for the executive team 
uh, to be involved in some way. And the lessons that I've learned over 30 years, the place where you find the most challenge and or resistance is in the middle management of the company. Right. Uh, but the middle management of the company is both you and I know that's who has responsibility for the environment created for the people. So most of the people report to the middle management of the company. One of the things that we try to do uh, in the book is provide frameworks and tools uh, that help leaders think about how to actively engage the middle management of their company so that they can lead in a more inclusive uh, fashion. Can you, can you get a little more specific as, you know, some, just a little touch of what's in the book as far as those specifics? Yeah, I think the, the, uh, the, the couple thoughts uh, that, that I'd leave you with that are very specific to the book is that uh, this is work that has to be led by the CEO. Yeah. Um, you have to drive this work into the middle management of the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite ways of uh, enabling this work is through action learning or project teams. Um, I start by really just assessing the current state of play of the company. So here's the current state. And then whatever the ambition is, this work is typically a multiple year uh process, but you've got to start at the beginning. And that's by, you know, you and I are both business guys. So you, and, and, and that's the unique perspective. I think I, I bring a CEO's perspective and a yeah. board member perspective to this work. Uh, anything that's important, you metric it, you look at the current state, and then you, you, you lay out a, a roadmap uh, to the future and you, and you measure it um, routinely on a go forward. Uh, basis, but I wanted to make the point around action learning. I've typically leveraged uh, a, a small action team uh, to really go out and assess the uh, the current state for the company uh, around this diversity, equity, inclusion area. Bring back the info, and then we map to the future state and what the desired kind of outcome is, kind of metric. Uh, driven, so it could be uh, representation at various mm-hmm. levels of the company. Uh, it could be education processes that we'd want to put in place, or it could be uh, creating a much more diverse supply chain. So one of the examples I talk about in the in the book, a uh, former colleague of mine from Gillette, who is the CEO at Logitech, Bracken Darrell. One of the things that he did over the last couple of years is he talked about. Uh, diversifying his supply chain and made that commitment, made it publicly. Uh, that's one of the places that I think there's a lot of room for opportunity. Well, yeah. And that's my next question would kind of lead into some of these solutions, right? I mean, we see, you know, what problems do we see needing to be solved at the corporate level, right? And what are those, some of those solutions to your point, diversity in supply chain. But I think one of the big things that when I think about that question and I'm almost answering it myself so much, I think, that has been at fault in a lot of ways is there's been uh, up until a point, I mean, going back in time a bit, no conversations at all around these topics. You know, it's, 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 it's been, a, and I think that's changing tremendously now. And I think it's important that it changed. But if I go back and think about business 18 years ago, it was not something that a lot of CEOs embraced. It wasn't up in the C-suite conversation. 
we'll take a whole lot of lessons. Great point. It was kind of an optional discussion and one that yeah. you could play. Uh, the way we think about the future, you know, the future and the future of work, this isn't optional because our, yeah. our stakeholders, uh, our, our suppliers are going to be asking us hard questions around the makeup and uh, our, you know, commitments both to the diversity in our organization and commitment to sustainability in the planet. Those are just, those are more table stakes today than they were, you know, even 15 years ago when you and I first uh, ran across each other in. in, yeah. in uh, and importantly, the employees are holding uh, the companies that they work for accountable uh, for being thoughtful and forward looking uh, Again, 2020 changed everything. Uh, it changed the discussion. And this is the beauty of having Krista, who is from a different generation than yeah. uh, dad, to really push, you know, so that uh, the conversations that you and I didn't have, um, we forced ourselves to have in, 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 in the writing of this book. And we've asked um, questions. Uh, one of the questions that we posed to the dozen or so executives that we interviewed for the book, we, we talked about the, the idea around empathy. And this was incredible. And like, you know, can empathy, you know, I talked a lot about empathy. And her question is, can empathy be learned or taught? So we've got uh, key executives that talk about empathy uh, in, in the book. And, and, you know, for me, that simply stated, that's just being able to put yourself in another person's shoes uh, and see the world as they see it and, and be, um, you know, view the world from that perspective, at least for a, a brief a moment and have an appreciation for it. Yeah. Well, you know, I, and thank you for that. And, you know, I, in preparing for this and knowing we we're going to have this conversation, I needed to step back and take a look at myself and take a look at, at, um, you know, how I wanted to have this conversation with you, what I wanted to, you know, what was curious to me about the book, what was curious about this conversation, you know, and I reflected, and, 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 and you know, Allie and Harrison, the same age, basically, as, as Chris is, so I, I, I did the exact same thing, like, I brought them to the table, it's like, here's what I'm thinking, you know, what do we want to, you know, it, you know, am I going to promote a conversation that's going to get us somewhere, because that's what I'm interested in, it's like, how, you know, I, I say this about, um, I've said this about others before. It's like the best thing we can ever do is not ever have these conversations again because we finally solve something, right? That we finally get to a place of like, we're all on this same round spinning rock that we're screwing up at a very quick pace. And, you know, we're all connected by the sun. We're all connected by water. We're all connected by food and we're all connected. And we refuse at times to believe that. We, we, we live in this little type of a bubble. And it's dangerous. And, it, and I'm glad that these conversations are happening because I think people are waking up to some of these things and these dangers and these things that we've got to change. We, we, we have to all come together. We're not going to make it work if we don't. I, I, don't, I don't know. We're fooling each other and we're right. fooling everybody if we're not. And so to see something that, you know, and the power that business has to influence, to change, to drive positivity, to be able to reach consumers. You know, I, I look at the messaging. You, know, you walk down one aisle of the grocery store and look at all those opportunities you have to message people and to say who you are and put a little bit, just put a little bit of yourself on your shirt sleeve and sure. say, this is what we believe. The data supports it. The data supports that companies are doing are kicking ass over companies that are not. The companies that are sure. trying to be transparent 
you know, it, it's amazing what, how important it is. So, you know, for me, it's, it's, you know, I reflected back on myself as a kid, you know, at school, trying to think back, like what conversations did we have back in the seventies, right. Um, about these, about these topics. And to be honest with you, I don't think we had any, I don't think we had any in-depth conversation. If it was, it was so meaningless in a way that there's nothing that came out of it as a reflection point to me. It, there wasn't this epiphany moment of like, I had this wake up. It certainly is not something that I was, you know, when I, when I think about racism, it's certainly not something that, that I felt was in my life, um, you know, trying to be, it might try to be inclusive of everything I've done my entire career, my sure. entire lifespan, but it really is a reflection point. And I hope that this conversation gets people that listen and go, I wonder what the hell I really think about this topic. And, because and, go ahead. And Todd, what, what I tried to do is tried to have the readers walk in my shoes yeah. You know, from the beginning of this book. Um, and I'll make just a couple comments that I've made to other audiences. Um, and, and typically people are surprised. So I've never had a promotion that I can recall in my career where I've promoted based on potential. Mm. And that that's always, you know, a little bit surprising to white executives because, you know, so I've never had anybody say, James, you were great at X job. You've never done Y. We're going to give you a shot to do that job. Every promotion for me, and I've had a ton of promotions, I always was doing so much or had just had my current responsibilities increase that the promotion was kind of, um, I already had most of the responsibility by the time I was promoted. And that right. pauses people. Uh, I, I had one CEO, I addressed a group of a thousand people, made this point. He had me in um, uh, in 2020, kind of following the murder of George Floyd. He, he said, James, just take us through as honestly as you can. You know, w w what it's like being a black executive. You're, you've had successes, but walk okay. us through it. And I made this point. Um, and the company was a board that I set on the time, Medallia. The CEO, Leslie Stretch, is a good friend of mine. And Leslie paused, rocked back in his chair when I made the point that I'd never been promoted based on potential. He said, you know what? As I think about uh, the Black Medallions, and that's what they call their resource group at the company, we've got people that were under leveraging in our own company. Yeah. Uh, but he had just never thought about it. Wow. What a great, what a great, but what a great pivot and a wake up call. But more importantly, I think too, to be able to have somebody in that chair say that out loud and to have that epiphany moment is the whole purpose, I think, of your book. I think it's the whole purpose in front of a thousand. You did this yeah. in front of a thousand people. Yeah. Yeah. And to be able to sit there and go, hey, we've got to, you know, stop, drop, and roll, right? We got we gotta pause. Absolutely. What do you think? What do you, I mean, here's a big, here's a thousand, you know, 35,000 foot high question. I don't know if there's a good answer for it. But how much change will it take from everyone to effectively eliminate racism? Yeah, I don't know that we ever uh, fully eliminate racism. What right. we try to do with the book is uh, have one of the greatest sources that I know of for positive change, and that's business. So yeah. what I hope to do is have an impact on a future generation of lead leaders, uh, inclusive of CEOs and board members, but uh leaders at all levels um, yeah. that think twice or three times about how they build their teams and culture and what the systems are 
and they step back like you did and evaluate the processes and systems and say, hey, do we have the best process systems tools in place for every one of my employees to do their very best work here? Um, and even before that, do we have the best processes, structures, systems, tools to attract the top talent moving forward? Because that's the fight for the future is going to be uh, who's the most attractive employer uh, for the most talented people. Right. Well, and, I, and to your point earlier, people want to go someplace that they're made to feel good. Absolutely. People don't want people, you know, people don't want to sit in a cubicle for nine hours or whatever the number is a day and feel like shit. They just don't. I, I don't and companies that cannot understand that, I, it just baffles me. You know, I look at it and say, you're, you, the potential that you're leaving on the table to be a better company is, it's, I would think it's unlimited in a lot of ways um, because you're not embracing who you are and who your and people are. Companies are, are going to be advantaged. I think there's going to be winners and losers as we mm-hmm. compete for talent. Hi, I'm Nate Hefty, Vice President of Sales at Superior Fresh, the nation's largest aquaponic farm located in central Wisconsin. Thank you for listening to Todd Versations and Todd Bits. Check us out at www.superiorfresh.com to learn how we raise our Atlantic salmon on a non-GMO organic diet. And they thrive in water naturally filtered by our USDA certified organic leafy greens, never treated with hormones, antibiotics, or pesticides, and packed with two times the omega-3s. This is salmon as it should be. Shop with us online and use the discount code TLC2022 to receive free shipping on all of our American Heart Association's Heart Health Checked Atlantic Salmon. At Superior Fresh, we are changing how food is grown to change the world. Remember the code TLC2022 to get free shipping. You know, in my time reflecting, you know, on myself, you know, and I got to thinking about something I think is, is worthy of talking about. And, 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 you know, and I, and I talked to my kids about this and they were a little bit back and forth about the whole nine yards. But in my generation, I think it's worthy. How much responsibility does, does TV, music and other media platforms have in kind of perpetuating racism and stereotypes today? Because I look back at TV when I was a kid. Right. And, and you know, and I'm not casting any blame. I'm, it is what it is. I'm looking back at, at TV. Jiminy Christmas, the shit they used to say and get away with. Yeah. And we're not talking that long ago, man. We're not. I mean, it's not yesterday, but it's, you know, it's, it ain't that far back. And there's a whole lot of people that grew up with that. And I, and being a kid, being dumb, again, not it's only now and, and later in my life and not just now based on this conversation, but later in my life, growing up and having my own looking at life going, hey, if you want to be you know, a better person, you've got to love the world because the world will love you back if you do it. How much do you think that that is involved and how much do you think that continues to not help us heal and grow and unite? As I, as I talk about, um, you know, kind of structural and systemic racism, it includes the, the media and all the ways that we consume news and educate ourselves or separate ourselves based on what we consume in terms of news. And I think, um, I, I hope, uh, you know, kind of leaders in, in, in the media uh, also pick up the book and that the leadership there, that this has some impact uh, on how they think about their responsibilities and their work uh, to create a, a, a better better place. But media certainly plays an important role. 
one of the things that I've seen companies do is they think about even their own packaging and marketing. You know, so there's lots of companies over the last couple of years that have uh, really kind of changed the imagery of brands and packaging. So there, there are some brands that I won't mention uh, that had unflattering um, imagery uh, mm-hmm. that have eliminated that over the last uh, couple big brands. Yeah. That have, you know, because in 2020, time was up to, um, you know, have those kind of images, you know, on store shelves. So you've seen lots of changes. Um, there were stereotypical images, uh, even racist images on major brands that you and I. Yeah. Know. Yeah. That would, yeah. That, that, and, and sadly, it's almost gone up until this point. It's just like, it is what it is. And I think that, that we've accepted that, you know, and a lot of times, I don't know. And I think about TV and media, you know, I, I think a lot of the media today is telling people too much what to think. And we're not really thinking for ourselves in a lot of ways. And I hope that a book like yours, these conversations like we have get people to, to step back a little bit, um, you know, because I think it's dangerous. I think it's dangerous when we don't think for ourselves and we do that a lot. You know, sure. we, we, we are, a lot of times we are sheep looking for a shepherd and that's unfortunate. <laughs> it's the truth. Yeah. And, and, you know, and now it, even with social media, and I'm going to pick on them for a little while, but you know, if you want to have a conversation, if you want to be forward thinking um, and it's dangerous in some ways to do it publicly now, because if you're not on the right team at the right moment, they're going to come kick your ass. You know, you're going to have 15 people outside your business or outside your home. And, and you know, you're this person, whatever the, you know, whatever that team decides you're not. And it becomes so dangerous. And that's what really concerns me about media. Look, I live in the media world. You live in the media world. It's a part of it. Social media, it is what it is. I mean, we all, I got a television. I watch TV. <laughs> I got some music. I mean, it is, but it's becoming somewhat dangerous. And that's one of my big concerns that I have is that the conversations that need to be had are drowned out. Um, you know, sometimes by the louder voices. Um, and that's, and that becomes, I, I think, again, I think it becomes dangerous. I think it's something we have to continue the positivity of conversations like you're doing and what this book is about. It's about a positive conversation on a subject that is uncomfortable to a lot of people. Sure. And what we hope to do is just be a catalyst for that discussion and that uh, change uh, for this next generation of leaders. And I think it's going to be, you know, just a requirement moving forward. I agree. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I think it's just so important that, that, that as parents, as global citizens and people, you know, that we have these conversations, it is okay to have an uncomfortable conversation with people. It's okay to get their opinion. It's okay to talk about it. It's okay to do it at the boardroom. It's okay to do it in your company. It's okay to do it in the break room and have an, you know, a designated time to be inclusive, to bring people to the table, because it goes back to what I said earlier. People want to be made to feel good. It's human nature, right? We want to be heard. We want to be loved. We want to be, you know, we want to be valued. It's, it's it, everybody loves that, right? And, and, and we're not doing, and we're not doing a good job of it. And we haven't done a good job of it. And it's a great opportunity for us to change as a nation, as a planet. And this book is something I think, you know, I, I'm excited about it. I hope people read it. I hope people take it to heart. And I hope people sit and, you know, like, hey, we need to follow some, these tools and let's let's do a reset. Let's let's step over that. Let's not trip on that line in the sand. Let's step over it and get going. Well, Todd, I couldn't think of a better place to start my virtual book tour uh, with my good friend. So this has been Thank fantastic. You. Thank you, bro. I, you know, 
One of the things that, that's interesting to me about companies is that, you know, we touched on it earlier, and I want to I want to just kind of get your take on it, is, you know, they have some kind of an anti-racism policy in their business. Um, and most of them probably touch that paperwork once a year, right? If, if that, right? And which, and my hunch is they probably are not advancing the conversations fast enough. Do you think a yearly narrative looking at these kind of issues um, is a, it works or are we at the point where we need to have daily and active cultural expectations of what acceptance actually is? I, I think the way I would describe the best companies with the best CEOs and leaders that I work with uh, are having this discussion on a routine basis. Yeah, uh, they've, in, they, they've embedded whatever the principles they have around this work uh, into the policies, the processes, they've looked at the symbols, uh, you know, that surround the institution. Um, mm -hmm. There's it's an ongoing leadership requirement inside the best companies. And that's what I hope uh, people will take away from the book is at least some tangible actions that you'd be able to pull out of the some of the best practices that the book tries to uh, put forward uh, to, to make meaningful change. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and you touched on large companies with that big reach, right? Like I talked about, you know, look at all the labels down the grocery store. But I think what's really important is the young up and coming startups, the young companies that are trying to carve their path to set cultural uh, expectations and to bring and to build their businesses, lean into this early on in their development and lean into this and in creating that environment. Because I believe the talent will come. I believe that you will find a, 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 a talent pool uh, that's endless if you create the right culture in the right environment. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. And I, I mean, I've, I've had the good fortune. I'm working with some earlier stage companies that are really leaning in around these kinds of principles uh, moving yeah. forward. Exciting. Yeah. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you to go put your HR hat go, I mean, a little bit because I think it's, 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 how do you ask the right questions during an interview? You know, now we're in this, this litigious world of, you know, don't say something wrong. Um, you know, how do you help identify candidates that that are out there that, you know, maybe they don't give you know two shits about this subject. They don't want anything to do with it. And you know, how do you how do you do that? How are you willing to find talent that's out there in a lot of ways? Because I, you know, you get dicey when you have to ask when you want to ask specific questions about culture and inclusion. I mean, how do you? It's, it seems like you walk. And I don't want to say you walk a fine line. I guess is a way of saying. It. So how do you find a way to unite? Well, here is the way I think about from a leadership perspective. I, I want to understand um, how leaders, at least, uh, you know, value uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I ask for specific examples. My purview now is more in the boardroom, so I'm, you know, you know, talking with really senior candidates. Mm -hmm. But I advise CEOs and uh, chief people officers is to make sure you embed whatever the values are of the company embedded, embedded into the uh, interview uh, process. You know, we all have lawyers and they'll make sure that we, um, you know, stay on the right side of the law in terms of uh, the appropriateness of the questions. But I, I don't see anything wrong with having, you know, questions that get at how inclusive a leader has been in his or her uh, career. Yeah. What, what, what do you think the, the perfect landscape would look like? And do you think that it's achievable at scale? I, I just think uh, it's going to be a requirement. The best companies, large and small, um, are really going to 
uh, embrace this work. They're going to take the lessons from 2020 and they're going to move the words into actions. And you're going to see leaders that are going to excel in their careers. And uh, I would predict the next generation of CEOs, they're really going to uh, understand um, how to really leverage culture to create an advantage for their brands and their companies uh, in the marketplace. Well, you know, and I hope I hope that uh, that my ag friends out there take a good look and at you know at what we're talking about and um, you know at this book because when you think about agriculture in this country, it's got issues and it's had issues from its inception. Um, and that needs, and it's changing. And I'm glad to see that it's changing. And I want to keep embracing that change moving forward because, again, we're not going to win. We're not going to win the day until we all unify and recognize that this planet unites everybody. What you know, p- positive change, you know, um, may come, you know, one small victory at a time on this subject and on this and in the in the corporate culture and just in, as a global culture as well. Is that satisfactory? Small victories at a time. I think you drive change one day at a time, one person at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we set out to do with, with the book is to offer readers an opportunity uh, to look at examples, find a few best practices that if applied in their own companies or businesses, that they'd be able to make positive change. So we hope to touch lots of leaders in that right. way. I'll, I'll take progress, a person and a leader uh, at a time, assuming it'll have a 10x multiplier effect. I agree 100%. We, you know, you, you got to take one step to take a second step, right? And I, I, I preach this all the time to my folks. It's like, you know, when I talk to my clients, I, I always say that no matter what you do, the, the first rung of the ladder as you grow has to be the most sturdiest one on the entire journey, or the rest of the ladder is completely wobbly. And this is one of those moments where this is a part of that first rung of the ladder that has to be brought into, instilled into, nurtured and continue to grow with inside companies if they want to advance and be the best they can be, in my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, as a, as a, as a business leader and as a father um, and as a global citizen, why should businesses care about these type of issues? I think foundationally, uh, if, if you're running a business and you care about the future, we've got a increasingly more global and more diverse workforce, consumer base. Uh, we really have to understand these issues. Uh, as you and I talked earlier, it, it might have been optional uh, 15 or 20 years ago. It's not optional today. It's actually a requirement as we think about the environment and social issues and governance-related issues, um, they're, table, they're becoming table stake as we move forward. Yeah, love it. Great answer. That's a great answer. So the book comes out March 1st. It's available everywhere. Um, it's available for pre-order today yeah. at what your favorite bookseller is. Correct. So you can get this. It's out. It's available it's a worthy read. It is worth your time. It is something that I would encourage leaders to uh, buy copies for their team and make it a workbook to, to start their journey on making positive changes, to ask questions about, to get involved, to think differently, to, to open up your eyes to a different perspective. But 
do it in a mannerism that is inclusive of your team. Do it, don't, you know, don't be the lone soldier walking the field. Bring everybody together and make this as your point. Make it into a group project. Make it into something that you've got a, a, a group of folks that are help leading that cause because it's going to make the difference. Because it's, it, it's, it's, we're talking about it in business, but if you can learn it at work, you can take it home. And if you take it home, your kids can take it to the playground. And we can start to uplift and change everything. Absolutely. I love it. So that's how we're going to find it. I got to tell you, man, uh, you know, you know what you, you know, how special you are to me. You know what you mean to me. And, and, and it's an honor for me to have you here. Um, like I told you, just to, just to be around standing in your shadow a little bit. It's been a, a great honor of mine. And uh, to have you here and share with this book, I'm excited for it. I'm excited for you. I'm excited for what you guys have created um, and getting this message out because I just think the timing's beautiful. Uh, thanks for taking the time. Appreciate you as always. Grateful. Absolutely, my brother. I appreciate you. And uh, I'll uh, talk to you soon. And uh, whatever whatever we do, we'll do. Absolutely. Take good thanks, care. Every- thanks, everybody. Thanks for being here, everybody. I appreciate this. It's a great conversation. Pass it around. Let's keep it going. This is why we do this. It's about inspiring people. I say it all the time. Inspiration comes in a lot of different formats and a lot of different ways, from simply saying hello to your neighbor to having an in-depth conversation with somebody that's worthy of your time and energy. So remember, go inspire somebody today. It's really important. Take care, everybody. We'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.